how to be a bad guy. And I think that's really important because I know so many landlords struggle with their self-managing and they don't want to be mean. And so a tenant's having an issue or a tenant's taking, straight up taking advantage of them and they just, well, I'll give them another chance, give them another break. There were times where I had to tell one of their mates, guys, you can't do this. I did learn how to tell people, no, you can't do that. Or no, I can't waive this. That's absolutely a skill. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Nicole Heasley. Today we're talking about her experience breaking into real estate investing as a house hacker. If you don't know what that means, don't worry. Just buying a house, living in it, and having roommates at the same time. Folks apply the term house hacking to it to make it sound new and fancy and exciting. And it is very exciting, but it's not necessarily a new thing. And today we're going through her experience buying her first property and house hacking it, having roommates, decisions that she made along the way, key critical lessons that she learned through the house hack, but also that she applied to her future real estate investments and how this deal got her started in real estate and started her addiction to passive cash flow from real estate investments. Great conversation. If you're out there, you're not sure how to invest in real estate, particularly if you're younger, wanting to get started in real estate, house hacking may be the way to go. But hey, you don't necessarily just have to be young to do a house hack. If you want to get started, it's a great way to get started investing in real estate and building passive cash flow through properties. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. To date, I've invested in, partnered on, acquired, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Nicole Heasley. Let's go. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do in real estate? And then let's dive into talking about house hacking. Taylor, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. There's a handful of things that I do. I'm a buy and hold investor. I'm a licensed mortgage lender. I run real estate meetups. And am I forgetting anything? I think that's it. <laughs> if if to stop and, and count all of your hustles and extracurriculars. And so how I got started with that was after college, I got a job in Cleveland. I went to Kent State and my my dad was kind of pushing me, you know, instead of getting an apartment and a roommate, he said, go get a house and, you know, at least build some equity. If, if you're going to pay someone's mortgage, let your roommate pay yours instead of the apartment complexes. And so I did it. I bought a house in near the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, and I rented out the two spare bedrooms. I took the smallest one so that I, you know, could get more rent out of those two extra bedrooms. And I did that for three years until I got kind of tired of having roommates. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I would definitely get tired of it at a certain point. And today I'd love to dig into what that experience was like and the key lessons that you learned along the way, because house hacking can be a great way to start investing in real estate, but some folks are just kind of afraid or, or hesitant to dive in. So let's start with picking the property. Like, how did you decide on the property that you bought? I had a fabulous agent. And the two things that I was most concerned with was parking and bathrooms. And so I made sure to pick a house. So it was a, a two-car 
driveway, you know, two-car garage. And I knew that there was going to be three people with three cars. And I had already kind of lived through the whole, we have to constantly switch places every time we leave the house kind of situation. When I was growing up, it, it drove me absolutely nuts. I'm not doing it. So I found a house where I could take the driveway and extend it so that there was a little spot to the side of the garage. So everyone had a parking spot all the time. And then, of course, bathrooms. I knew that I was going to live with other girls. We like to be in the bathroom. <laughs> Hair takes a while. Makeup takes a while. Not to mention, if if something goes wrong with the bathroom, and it did, there were times where we didn't have, you know, a, a toilet. There was a toilet issue, a shower issue, some sort of plumbing issue that took our main bathroom away from us for a couple days or a week. So having a second full bathroom was huge just to keep everybody happy and give everybody enough space. Okay, great. That's a very reasonable consideration. How about the the number of like bedrooms and, and living rooms and other kind of spare rooms outside of the bedroom that, that folks and uh, tenants might use? Did that factor into your consideration? Good point. Yes, it did. It did. Obviously, so, you know, my location was dependent on where I had gotten a job. I did pay attention to what was around me. The Cleveland Clinic was near me. I was 20 some minutes from downtown Cleveland. There was a, a couple different universities near me. So I knew, you know, I was like 25 years old. I didn't know where I was going to be a year from then, two years from then, anything. So my thinking was, okay, I'm going to buy this house. And if I want to leave, I want to make sure that I can rent it. Or what if I can't sell it? I didn't really know crap about real estate. So I made sure that there was a lot of stuff around that I thought people might want to be around. But in terms of the house, yes, there were a couple other things I, I took into consideration. Obviously, safety, bunch of young girls living together. I didn't want to be anywhere where I felt scared to walk around the block. But I thought about recreational space, and I really wanted a house that had at least a partially finished basement. Because being near the Cleveland Clinic, I correctly assumed that I'd have some nurses living with me. And I correctly assumed that they would sleep during the day. And that was accurate. I, I had at least one, if not two nurses at any given time who worked night shifts and things like that. So I figured, what if I want to have people over and the nurse needs to sleep? So she's up in the, in the top floor. I've got a space with a couch and a TV and everything down in the basement. If I'm having friends over or, I don't know, want to watch TV really loud or play my music or whatever, there was a space for people to go hang out, congregate, that was far from the the sleeping areas. Great. That's a great thing to think about and a good consideration. So how about like you're doing your due diligence on the property, figuring out the ages of the major mechanicals and building up your, you know, your reserve of capital for repairs that might need to be done early on. How did you think about that? I didn't. I was 25 <laughs> years old. I never bought a house. You know, I will say, again, I had a really good agent and I had my dad who were both looking out for me. And so you know, I just kind of looked at, is it pretty? Does it look like I have to clean or fix a bunch of stuff? You know, does it look gross? I don't, I didn't know how to look at a hot water tank. I didn't know how to look for foundation issues. I did not know how to look at a gas heater or anything like that. There's a lot of radiators in a lot of those old houses in Cleveland. I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. My agent did. And she knew that she had a young girl who didn't know what she was doing <laughs> buying this house. And she was very tactful without breaking up any of the rules. You know, agents can't say certain things. They can't tell you, I don't like this street. They can't, you know, but she she would find a way to tell me without telling me, this is not a good house for you. So I was I was mostly concerned with aesthetics. She took care of me in terms of, of figuring out the mechanicals. And then, of course, 
This was 2016. This was not, God, the market we had last year where you had to waive inspections and everything else. I never want to go through that again. But I did get an inspection done. And so I was, you know, I felt safe. You know, we had a really good inspector. We got, we were able to get the seller to cover some repairs. That's, that's something that used to happen back in the day. Hopefully it comes back soon. They will. And so, so, you know, once I had that inspection report, I had my dad's bluffing, I had my realtor's bluffing. I felt okay. Great, great. So the as an analytical person myself, I'm sure some of our listeners can relate. We just can't get away from the numbers. How did you think about the rents that you could bring in, your mortgage costs or your expenses, all that? Or is that another area that it was, hey, I'm 25 and I'm just kind of going, you know, by the seat of my pants here? Like, it wasn't quite as bad because <laughs> I had an accounting degree. So I at least had the concept of my expenses. I knew that I, I wanted to cover my mortgage. That was my big thing. Even with my accountant salary, my student loans were so high that I really couldn't live alone. So I knew that I could only afford, you know, half of a living space. Well, then this my dad gives me this idea of how, you know, he didn't know it was called house hacking at the time, but my dad gives me this idea to get tenants to completely cover my living expenses. And so that was my, my big thing was how much is this mortgage? How much of it can I cover? You know, I did kind of look around on Craigslist was still alive back then and like apartments.com or, or whatever I could find. And I did look at kind of what a bedroom went for and kind of just used my, my best guess based on what other bedrooms are being advertised for. While well, a reasonable price was, I think I way undercharged <laughs> the whole time that I was there. But I, I covered the mortgage. And I think I, I my, my only comfort that I really wanted for myself is I wanted a garage space. I'm not going through all this work, you know, because I had been living in apartments and, and uncovered, you know, constantly dumped the snow on the car and I'm moving to Cleveland, which gets, you know, I wanted a garage space. So... I said, I'll take the small bedroom. That's fine. I'll live in a closet. I don't care, but I want one of the garage spaces. And so how I did it was, you know, each girl paid the same amount of monthly rent because the bedrooms were about the same size. The one who took the extra garage space made an extra or paid an extra 25 bucks a month. It's not bad. You know, it wasn't. It was and and, you know, it was never an issue. So I covered my mortgage. Plus, I think I made about 80 bucks a month on top of that. I did cover all the utilities. I didn't factor that in very well. Going back, I would probably have found a way to, to chop that up. That is an interesting choice to cover the utilities yourself and and not, I don't know, just break them up, you know, based on thirds if you have two other roommates or something like that. Is that how you would do it if you were to go back and make the decision again, just break it evenly? Not at all. I don't care what business endeavor you're starting. You always start off undercutting yourself. You do it. I mean, and I did this for years. I was so like, I felt like these people were doing me a favor. I didn't, you know, have the mindset of this is a business transaction. I'm providing for you. You're providing for me. And so I was like, I have to convince these people to want to come live with me, which is not the case at all. It was not true. I had, I had plenty of great tenants. I had plenty of people to choose from, but I still felt, I, I still felt like I had to, you know, sweeten the deal or something. So no, I would not do it that way. I would absolutely charge utilities. What I would probably do in a, in a roommate situation like that, it's just third. You pay a third, I pay a third, and, and and she pays a third. Because again, we're in a single family house. So that's a thing, guys. You can house hack a single family house. You don't have to get a duplex, triplex, quad. You, I mean, if you can, and great, go ahead. But I'm just saying, it's not like, oh my God, I can't find a duplex. I can't do this. Anyway, no, you know, there's no separate meters. We could try prorating by bedroom space. I mean, come on. 
or were three girls sharing a 1,400 square foot house? Just split the darn utilities. <laughs> so I think another big thing that prevents folks from going this route is just kind of the, the interpersonal aspects of these things. Uh, like what you alluded to, were three women sharing this house. Things are going to happen. Somebody's going to, you know, whatever, not clean a pan when we all kind of expect yeah. them to, or stuff's going to happen like that, right? That's just reasonable. Did that come up and, and how did you handle it? Did you ever have to be, you know, the mean, you know, landlady, hey, your lease says do it? Or how did you handle those conflicts? No, I mean, I did this coming right out of college. So I had been dealing with roommates for like five, eight years prior. This was nothing new to me. I was just happy to be sharing a 1,400 square foot house instead of a 700 square foot apartment. Like I, I didn't know what to do with all the room that we had. That being said, I think I had a clause in the lease where I, I basically said, clean up after yourself. And I don't know if I looked at, actually, no, I didn't look out. I'm a good screener. I, I interviewed people before they, they came in. I had, you know, if, 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 if we were just replacing one roommate, I had them come and meet the other roommate. I made, every, I made sure everyone kind of vibed. And at the time, I actually, I had this really great website. It was called roomymatch.com. I don't think they're around anymore or they have a different name, but it was like a, a plenty of fish or whatever the dating apps <laughs> are now, but it was for roommates and you had to fill out this really long questionnaire and it was actually reviewed by real humans who would then send you matches. And I think I got, I think I got one girl from Craigslist, one girl from a referral, but two or three came from that roomymatch.com and, and those always worked out best. So that might be something you do, you know, when you're a landlord, you have a, a rental application and it asks about your job and your criminal history and you're this and you're that. You throw, if you're house hacking, throw some personal questions on there. It's, it's, mm -hmm. You can ask, you know, how often do you clean? How, you know, and, and it, it, it really, it, I don't remember there being too many issues. And I, I think actually knowing that you live with your landlord kind of makes you like, sorry, keep your stuff <laughs> together. <laughs> there was a, you know, a bit of awkwardness. I was never like their buddy. And I think it was because that, that I am the landlord was always there. We always got along. Sometimes we go out to eat together. If I threw a party or something, they'd, they'd come and, and sit and visit with folks for a little bit. But, you know, none of us ever really became BFFs. Some of that, they would go off and become beasts. <laughs> and that was fine. I was a little bit older. Most of the time it was, it was usually, you know, I was a year or two out of college and these were girls who were just graduating or going through an educational program. So I was usually like a good two years older than the girls that I was living with, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in your in your mid early 20s, it kind of is. So I don't know, maybe they felt like they lived with mom, <laughs> you know, but there wasn't a whole lot of cleaning to, to worry about. We just had the the kitchen, which everyone was pretty good about cleaning up after themselves. We had the the, the bathrooms, of course, which we we were pretty good about taking turns on that, too. We had hardwood floors, you know, so, you know, you didn't have to vacuum a lot. The, and lawn care, I, I just went ahead and took care of. And I did hire someone for snow plowing. You're not going to get a 23-year-old girl to get up and cut the grass. <laughs> like, you're just, I mean, unless she is the homeowner, she's, she's probably not going to do it. So I figured, don't even fight that battle. I didn't mind cutting the grass. It wasn't that big of a yard. It took me half hour to do. And then again, like I said, I, I just hired snow removal. I wasn't, I wasn't messing around with that. Okay. Okay. I think another thing that folks wonder about when they're thinking about getting started with real estate through a house hack is what is this going to lead to? How is this, this one deal going to help propel me into additional deals or, 
you know, continue to build my cash flow. It's it's hard to see how a house hack might scale. But what did you do, you know, moving forward into future deals? What did this teach you? What did it, you know, parlay into in real estate? It gave me a very, very unhealthy addiction to real estate. I got handed that check and I was like, oh my God, my house is covered. If I can do this again, I can get my car covered. And if I can do this again, I'll get my groceries covered. And then I can get my trip to Fiji covered. And like the, the minute that that check hit my hand or that Venmo hit my phone, whatever we were using at the time, my brain just exploded. And so my intention was going to be don't pay for a place to live. Get rid of these student loans. Like, I mean, they were they're they're bad. They're going to ruin your they were you know going to keep me from doing literally anything I wanted to do at all. And instead, I thought, ooh, I could save up and buy another house. <laughs> <laughs> and so so that's when it turned into it turned into taking all that money and shoveling it away for another down payment. It turned into finding out, wanting to know, are, are other people like, am I the only one? Did I just discover this thing? Did I just you know, invent something? I didn't. But it made me want to go out and find other people doing it and talk to them about it. And so I got on meetup.com. I found meetup. I started going to one or two meetups a month. I started my own meetup. I did eventually go on to buy more properties. And if I hadn't met my husband, honey, you ruined everything. I would have gotten a duplex. I would have moved out of that house and gone on to get a duplex. But, you know, got married and said, well, you know, you you got your start. So the the student loan thing, I think, is is really interesting. I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there listening who can relate to that. And seeing from the perspective of, hey, I've got these student loans, are they going to mess up my ability to obtain a mortgage and and get financing? Did they impact you know your ability to to get a mortgage and make a down payment, everything around that? No, they didn't. Part of that is half of my student loans are 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 not in my name. When when we were doing, you know, my, my I'm first generation college student. And so my parents, you know, they, they just gave me their social security numbers and they're like, go figure it out. <laughs> and I kind of did accidentally take out a big chunk of money in their name. I pay it. I do. Everything's current, always has been. But that worked out really well because it kept my debt to income low. And so I would say, 25% of my student loans were not in my name. Now, I still have a good chunk in my name. And depending on what loan you go after, we would factor a half a percent to 1% of your student loans, you know, towards your, towards your monthly payment, towards your debt to income. But if you do have student loan, talk to a lender, find out, find out if they're going to hurt you to the extent that you can't do this. Find out if there are other loan programs that might, you know, some, some loans take a full percent of that balance towards your monthly payment, some only take half. So talk to a mortgage lender about what your different options are. And you say that as a, a loan officer as, yourself? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Are there any, I, I guess, what was, to, to put a bow on it before we move on to the sure. few questions, what would you say are the biggest couple of lessons that you learned from this house hacking experience that got you started as a real estate investor? Probably how to be a, the bad guy. And I think that's really important because I, I I know so many landlords struggle with, you know, they're self-managing and they just, they don't, they don't want to be mean. And so a tenant's having an issue or a tenant's taking, straight up taking advantage of them and, and they just, well, I'll give them another chance, give them another break. I can't, I can't give you specifics, but I know that there were times where I had to tell one of their mates, guys, you can't do this. I don't remember if it was 
wanting to paint their rooms or, but, you know, they kind of had to ask me permission to, to do a lot of things. You know, they had to talk to me about, can I hang this up? Can I paint this bedroom? Can I, you know, they, they, they kind of had to ask me to have people over or at least let me know that they were going to have people over. So it was this weird, a little bit more of like a house mom relationship. <laughs> but, but that being said, I did learn how to tell people, no, you can't do that. Or no, I can't wave this or, or, or anything like that. So, and, and that's, that's absolutely a skill. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that it can be tough to be the bad guy sometimes, but at the end of the day, those are important lessons. You, you have to, you absolutely have to. Once you have money invested in a, in a property, you know, repairs and maintenance, like there are things that, that cost money. Yes. I know you want to let them have their Yorkie puppy, but then you have to charge a deposit of some kind. You have to charge that extra pet rent. And they might come to you and say, well, I need my Yorkie, but I can't afford your pet rent. Well, then you can't have your Yorkie. You know, it, it's, it's stuff like that, that, that I, I hate, you know, but I have to do it because if said Yorkie pees all over my carpet for six months, that's a huge bill. And if they can't afford the pet rent, they're not giving me the money to replace that carpet or, or any damage to the floor. Absolutely. And they can cause a lot of damage and when you're a house hacking person, you can set different lines and, and have different priorities as well as far as what you it's, want to live around. Yes, you can. And and that's legally you can, but also just in terms of, of logistics, you can. There is a difference between being a landlord as a, as a house hacker and being a, a landlord for a pure rental. I, I like to think of house hacking as like, like your boot camp for becoming a landlord. <laughs> Great, great. Well, I'm glad it worked out for you and for our listeners out there thinking about it. Dig in, talk to a loan officer. Maybe it's the right decision for you. Maybe not. Talk but, to uh, me. <laughs> talk Even to if you're not in Ohio, I'll, I'll help you out. Awesome. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Nicole, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The time I have invested in meetups, both attending them and starting them. You know, I have one. I'm in the Akron area. I have one in Youngstown, Ohio. I drive an hour once a month just to go to this meetup and then an hour home. I, I attend them in Cleveland. I have one also in the Akron area near me. And so the relationships that I've built, the people that I've met, you know, finding finding contractors, finding the best rental platform, all those kinds of little things, go to your local meetup because, you know, Bigger Pockets is, is wonderful. The, Facebook is wonderful, but you will get the, the best feedback from the people who are investing in the same place that you are. And they're right down the street from you. I love it. I love it. More people should go to networking events and build your network locally. It's a great way to get yes. started. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? 
My friends and I thought we were going to be day traders for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and I think I still have like $200 tied up in a random stock on Ameritrade that I, I can't even remember how to get into my account. And I lost like half of it in a day. And I, I just, I'm just, one day I'll get my money back, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not at a loss, but it definitely sounds like that might be the case at the end of the day. If you're going to do it, learn how to do it. Don't just, you know, pick up your phone and, you know, these letters look fun together. I'll buy that. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Oh, and I, this is back to the, to the local meetup thing. You can't be shy. You have to be okay picking up the phone and talking to people. You have to be okay going to a bar to a meetup and, and working your way into a conversation. You have to be okay talking to tenants. If if you are super introverted, super shy, I don't care if you have to pay money to do a, a training course. Find your extroverted friend. Ask them how they be extroverted. You know, whatever you have to do, because I can't think of too many, whether it's real estate investing or not, there is nothing that will take you farther than good people skills. I love it. I think you're 110% right about that. And for me, that's an area that I had to work on quite a bit at the beginning. And of course, continue to work on today, but it was rough at the beginning for myself. Nicole, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, sharing these lessons with our listeners. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? I'm I'm on Bigger Pockets as Nicole Heasley. I'm on Facebook as I think I'm Nicole Rebecca Heasley Bitenman. I am going to shorten that eventually, <laughs> but I'm on Facebook a ton. I'm on Bigger Pockets a ton. And my my email is Nicole.Heathley at ccm.com for cross-country mortgage. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>